This is the IVJ Podcast for the week of March 7th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. If you've ever considered taking a big leap and becoming a franchisee of a restaurant or food and drink chain, or if you've ever wondered why somebody with an established, successful career would want to take such a risk, this podcast is for you. Lori Meyer left a career in banking to become a franchisee of the fast casual chain Garbanzo Mediterranean Fresh. With an investment well into six figures, she opened her location in Zionsville in January. In mid-2021, ICU nurse Melinda Rowan opened a location of The Human Bean, a drive through coffee shop concept at 54th and Keystone. Her investment was more than half a million dollars. They are both owners and operators of their own businesses, and they are our guests for this week's podcast. Now, obviously, we have talked a lot in the last year about people who reconsidered their career paths or just decided now was the time to follow a dream. Now, if you've been attracted to the idea of being your own boss so you can set your own schedule, Meyer and Rowan urge you to bypass any food industry franchisee opportunities you might find. This is extremely demanding work, made even more difficult by the pandemic era, triple whammy of supply chain disruptions, labor shortages, and inflation. In this week's edition of the podcast, Rowan and Meyer discuss the often harrowing experience of visiting the restaurant supply store, which Melinda likens to the Hunger Games. Lori details how much time she spends driving around the city simply to find packaging materials, which she then stockpiles in her garage. They share their strategies for finding workers, but note that your labor challenges don't necessarily end once you get them on payroll. And the discussion will kick off with questions about why they decided to become franchisees when they already had stable, well-established careers. Here's our conversation. I am pleased to welcome to the podcast, Melinda Rowan, owner and operator of the Human Bean Store, the first in Indiana, located at 54th and Keystone. Melinda, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And Lori Meyer, owner and operator of Garbanzo Mediterranean Fresh, located at 111th and Michigan Road in Zionsville. Lori, thank you for making time today. Happy to be here. I'll ask you right off the bat, we were talking uh, just before we started recording the podcast about how career changing has has become a huge issue uh, in our economy. And I was curious to know if you guys consider yourselves part of what we call the great resignation, or did your decisions to leave your professional lives predate the pandemic? Was that just something different? Um, I could take that one first. Mine predated the pandemic. Uh, I was planning on opening the coffee shop um, about probably six months before the pandemic started. I just wanted kind of something new to do. And then the pandemic actually kind of put it on hold for a while because I'm a nurse and I went back to nursing to help with all of what was going on. And what about you, Laura? Yeah, I'm actually going to give the exact same answer. I mean, this was something that was kind of percolating in my brain before. And actually, the first time I stepped foot in a garbanzo was March of 2020. So, you know, I was kind of just uh, thinking about it. And then when that hit, um, it all got, got put on hold. I will say, though, that I think working through the pandemic and I had the experience of a lot of other 
people in my profession in banking of working purely from home while also raising children. And so I fully understand the stress that that caused uh, for a lot of people. And it definitely solidified my decision. You know, and it's hard to stay connected and feel like you're part of a whole when you are isolated. I can understand why that pushes people out because I think that pushed me out a little bit as well. So Melinda, I want to start with you. Uh, you had a career as an intensive care unit nurse. Is that right? Yes. And to an extent you still do. And we'll talk about that for a second, but yeah. I mean, that's not something that you fall into. Can you tell me uh, why you had chosen that career? I sort of fell into it. Actually, my husband went to medical school and at the time I was, um, in retail, corporate retail in San Francisco And we moved out to the Cleveland area and there wasn't really retail jobs in the kind of corporate level out there. My mom is a nurse. So I kind of decided to be a nurse. Oh, my mom's a nurse. I'll try this. It's kind of an interesting path, but I never regretted it. I I love being a nurse and I still love being a nurse. Um, But that was kind of like my pathway to being a nurse. So in a way, it was like a second career at that point already. And, And as we spoke before the podcast, recording, uh, you still, uh, to this day, spend several weeks out of the year uh, nursing. How does that work? So I actually have a unique job where I work out in California, and I fly out there every six to eight weeks for about a week at a time. So I'm what's called a per diem nurse. So it's as needed. And they're very flexible with my schedule. Right now, I did take a break from going out there just to kind of get my staffing in line and be more present at the coffee shop. Um, but I fully intend on doing that um, again here in the next couple of months because it's still a passion for me to be a nurse. But there was at some point you decided this wasn't the thing you were going to do full time, that you needed to have something significantly different. What was that thinking like? Um, you know, my kind of move towards opening the coffee shop happened when I realized I I call it the empty nester of elementary school children. So my last child was hitting school. So I have kids all the way from kindergarten to sophomore in high school so that the kindergartner was starting. And I, in my mind was, well, what am I going to do with those six to eight weeks when I'm home and all my kids are in school? It was probably a little naive to think, oh, I'll do a coffee shop that will take up some time. Well, it takes up a lot more time, but I still very much enjoy it. But that was kind of where the idea came from is wanting to something to do. I've always wanted to open a coffee shop. I'm actually from the West Coast where coffee shops are quote unquote on every corner. It's normal to see like a drive through coffee shop all over the place. So Moving to the Midwest, I think it's weird they're not everywhere. So that was part of it, too, is wanting to bring good coffee out here for the Midwest to enjoy. Boy, you would have had a hard time here back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. (laughs) Pre-Starbucks. I mean, I could probably count the number of coffee shops on one hand. Right. Now, Lori, your career was in banking. Tell me about how you ended up in banking. My start in school was in accounting. Ever since I was in high school, my goal was to major in accounting and to start at an accounting firm. That's what I did. I went to Deloitte right out of college, realized I actually didn't like that path very much. Um, And that kind of led me, it's a natural lead into banking. Um, And so I've been doing that for, gosh, I don't know how old I am now, but maybe 17 years or so. 
And that's, that's how long I was in that profession. Um, my most recent position that I was, that I was at for a number of years, I spent the majority of my day analyzing other people's businesses and making decisions about, you know, how they were operating, how profitable they were, frankly, their, their um, credit profile that I was in credit. I got to a place where I thought to myself, well, I'm spending all this time analyzing everyone else's business. Like, could I actually do it on my own? Right? Like, it's easy to look at other people's and, and make judgments about it be the one to, to run something, you know, I, and obviously what I'm doing now is on a much smaller scale than the, the businesses that I was analyzing, but, um, that's kind of what, what led me to here. No kidding. So was there something in the end that was kind of unsatisfying about banking or were you just really driven by, by wanting to see if you could make it as an entrepreneur? It, it was that. And I think it was also probably, um, and this is an overused phrase, but somewhat of a midlife crisis, right? So you're, you get kind of mid-career, which is where I was at. Like I had a decision to make about, do I want to keep pushing to move up? Because that was always my, um, my path to continue to be on a pace of promotions. Do I want to keep working for that? Do I like what's ahead of me? Do I like the person that I'm going to be if I stay at this 10 more years, or do I have enough time left in my working life to completely reinvent myself? Right. And it, it kind of, in my mind, got to a place where I thought if I don't leave now, I'll probably never do it. Now for the uh, readers who are not really familiar with the franchising, I mean, this is still a really significant financial commitment. Am I right? Absolutely. So just from looking at the, the Garbanzo website, this, this, is what I, this is what I gleaned here. They ask you have a minimum of $250,000 in cash available to invest. They want your net worth to be at least $500,000. There's a $38,000 franchise fee. And the company estimates that your startup costs could be between like $386,000 and $786,000. Does that ring true? Is that what your experience was like? Yeah. And I mean, if they printed that, it has to be true because otherwise they'd be in a whole lot of trouble, but that's another. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's the, that's the beauty of the franchise model from the franchisor's perspective is that they're growing their business on the financial backs of other people, you know? So you have to know that going in as a franchisee that you are putting your own capital up. That's, that's the beauty of it for them. Right. It's no small investment. It's a significant liability and risk that you're taking on, to be sure. Can you ballpark what your startup costs were? It was definitely in the range, probably at a little bit of the higher end of the range. Um, I think now, and, and Melinda, I'm not sure when you started your coffee shop, but I mean, the way that things are right now in terms of buying equipment um, and construction costs are extremely high you know, almost to the point where sometimes I question how much longer this can go on before the economics just don't really make sense. Well, that's fascinating. So, I mean, you made a decision at some point, well, I'm going to do this and I'm estimating, I mean, here's basically what my startup costs are going to be after I build this restaurant and buy this equipment. And then uh, inflation happens, supply chain problems happen, and it ends up being a lot more than what you thought. Yeah, I I was pretty good in terms of my budget. Um, I had a really long lead time on my build because I went into a new building. And so I had a very 
you know, I signed contracts pretty far ahead of time. You know, as I think about location number two, I think the economics are different. The contracts that I signed last year are definitely more expensive this year. So that's something definitely in, in my mind. And then Melinda, for human being, uh, according to the website, uh, you need to have a minimum of $200,000 in cash, uh, net worth of at least $400,000. Franchise fee is $30,000 and your startup costs were pretty similar. Uh, could be between three fifty dollars and, and eight fifty, dollars depending mm-hmm. on your site development costs. Is, is that consistent with your experience? Yeah. Just like Lori said, everything kind of just went up as we were building and just supply even uh, machinery, I would mm-hmm. see like you have to order this week because we know it's going up next week by 20%, yep. a lot of things like that. Mm-hmm. So overall, it definitely was more expensive. And it's funny, she's kind of saying all the things that I'm thinking as I'm thinking about my you know, location number two, what is the cost going to look like? It's, it's going to be significantly more for sure, let alone just like all of the cost of goods sold are on average up. 30 to 40%. And it's, it's very high now. And can you kind of ballpark what your startup costs were? I would say about 550, somewhere in there. Wow. Quite a bit. I was kind of in the middle range for um, the human being. I did renovate a building, which actually is uncommon for our franchise. Most people do stick builds or a modular concept, um, but I renovated a building. And now do you end up owning the building? Um, I have a land lease. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then did you guys both end up getting financing? Yes, for a portion of it. And Laura, you too? I actually did not finance the first one, um, but that will be something that I I work on in the future. Um, So, you know, again, with Fed comments this week, another thing in my mind in terms of interest rates in the future and just um, adding that that cost to the mix. So. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our conversation with Melinda Rowan and Laurie Meyer about taking the leap from established careers to become franchisees of food and drink chains. Now, once you once you made the decision. And the initial investment, did you ever question yourself? Did you think, oh my gosh, what did I get into? Or was it full steam ahead? Um, For me, it's a little bit of both. I probably, I'm always full steam ahead, but I'm always a little bit like, what am I doing? What happened? Not, it's more just supply chain issues are really hard. Staffing issues are really hard right now, finding staff. So there's a lot of issues that weren't issues maybe two years ago that we probably wouldn't have even considered. And now I always say the restaurant supply store is like hunger games. You got to find what you need. And if it's there, you buy everything because you might not see it for six weeks. It's just a different kind of world right now when you own your own business that I think 
probably neither of us probably expected when we got into it, not knowing for me, you know, is there going to be plastic cups next week? I don't know. (laughs) So it's, it is kind of crazy. And the amount of plastic cups I buy when I can find them, it feels like excessive, but you have to do that. I'm laughing at everything you say because the amount of packaging sitting in my garage right now is driving mm-hmm. me. And I wasn't in this business a couple of years ago, so I don't know, but I have to imagine it's completely different. Just sourcing the things that you need. I spend so much time out of my day sourcing where I thought it was going to be an easy, I'm going to put my Cisco order in and I'll get it two days later. And I know it's going to be on my truck. And now I put this go order and, you know, I probably shouldn't use their name, but, you know, it's, and it's not their fault. It's just the availability of products. It's them being short staffed. It's, um, you know, I spent a lot more time running around town buying packaging than I ever thought that I would have. Yep. Same for me. I was in Chipotle the other day and they had no forks. Yeah. Don't get mad for the things they don't have. That's what (laughs) you probably ordered it. (laughs) Uh, So Lori, when did your Garbanzo open? Um, Mid-January. Okay. And then, Melinda, when did your human being open? Um, I was in June. Of last year? This last summer, yeah. Okay, great. So you've had a little more time. How do you like it? Is, is this what you thought it would be? Or um, is it a different experience? I actually love it. I think it's really fun. Obviously, baristas tend to be a little bit younger. So I kind of feel like it's a little bit of mentoring um, younger generation. I always tell people when they're hired, they're part of the family, so they can come to me if they need anything. So I kind of love that part of it. And just getting to know the community has been really fun. So we have our regulars that come in and, you know, want to chat with me through the drive through. So it's been really fun. It's just getting through kind of like the noise of supply chain and finding enough staff. And it just occurred to me that since you are a drive through you dodged I I would assume most of the concerns about like having people inside your restaurant. Yeah. So we're, I'm a drive-through only concept. And so as a franchise, we actually did really well during COVID um, lockdowns because it's still considered an essential business because it's a food service kind of stuff. And then just people in general have kind of not wanted to go in anywhere anymore. They've decided that drive-through is the way to go. So it's, really hasn't affected our business, which I'm really grateful for. And if anything, it's probably grown our business. And then Lori, it it appears that everybody is uh, about to declare the pandemic over. I assume that that is a relief. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that has surprised me having opened in mid-January is that, you know, when I, when I was signing my lease, it was mid pandemic. So the things that everyone were thinking about at that time were, I want a patio and I don't need a lot of indoor seating. Right. And it, that's kind of what everyone was thinking. And that's kind of where I went as well. I've been really surprised that my dining room is full. People come in and they sit down and eat. And that has kind of shocked me because it was not at all what I thought was going to happen. I thought most people were going to come in, pick up their food and leave. Um, so it's just been really interesting to watch that. So far, uh, how has the experience been for you? Um, extremely hectic for all the reasons that Melinda mentioned. Staffing is 
it feels like beating your head against a brick wall some days, you know, and I've been extremely fortunate to find some really good key staff people that I'm extremely grateful that I have found, but keeping myself fully staffed is challenging and the pay rates are beyond what we just see in the headline inflation numbers. The amount that you pay per hour is the increase is far beyond what you see um, kind of just in the numbers. And so as I think again about location number two, um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if that starts leveling off or how the industry kind of digests those pay increases. And that's not just restaurants. That's, that's really everyone. What is a full staff for you? How many people is that? I have about 12 to 14 on my payroll, which is a full staff. And can you give us an idea of how much you're paying? Um, It really varies. You know, I, I'll give one example and this was not from myself, but it's, absolutely been my experience. And this was from um, a gentleman that runs a number of businesses or a number of restaurants in in New York. And he was on CNBC the other day. And he said, you know, my dishwashers pre-pandemic cost me $11 an hour. Now they cost me 15. That's absolutely what I experienced as well. And that's, you know, that's a year and a half, $4 an hour increase for a dishwasher. So that's just kind of an example. Um, You know, my pay rates vary based on job function, Hmm. but you know, that's kind of a pretty, pretty steep price. And I will say, even since I've been open, I've had to give select pay adjustments. Um, and that's only in, you know, a month and a half. Wow. So 15 is really kind of the minimum and you go from there. It's about, it's pretty close to my minimum, you know, for younger high school age kids, you know, I'm not sure they're quite at 15 an hour yet, but for anyone else, that's where I'm finding a starting pay. Is there any, uh, any secret you're willing to share for how, uh, you find workers? Cause everybody is, is worried about that. Well, I, I'd like to hear what Melinda's doing too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, indeed, uh, I find people on indeed. I have felt like the amount of money I'm spending to find people though is extremely high. I've found that I can f- find fewer people but more quality applicants on Facebook, interestingly. Um, And then my absolute number one source of people is referral bonuses with my existing employees. So that's where I found the best and most reliable employees. And I'd obviously much rather pay an employee a referral bonus than, and then to pay it to someone else. And Melinda, what is the full staff for you? I actually haven't seen it yet because I just can't get enough staff. It's a joke in my house. You know, I hire three and two move on. And part of it's, you know, I hire a lot of students. So their schedules are always changing. So now I, you know, I have too much, a heavy of a load or whatnot. So I always say that I'm always hiring because my students' schedules are always changing. But I would be happy at 25. And I'm usually at like 14 to 18. Wow. So it's been a real struggle to find staff for me. And are you doing some of the things that Lori is doing, trying to find? All, all of those things, plus more. I'll put flyers at all the colleges with QR codes that go straight to my Indeed listing. I've done the Facebook ads. I also do the referral bonus. So I'll do you know a certain amount of money if your referral makes it out of training. And then you get another bonus when they've been there 90 days. 
friends of friends is always the best because you're not going to bring in a friend that's not going to work hard. Right. I actually prefer those over the kind of blind indeed ones. But like I said, it's always a struggle, but I think it, it has been getting better. It's slowly getting better, but it's, I feel like every month feels better with like quality of applicants and how many applicants I'm getting. And can you share about basically where your pay rate is? Actually, I don't want to share it just because I feel like that gives people ammunition for trying to negotiate <laughs> different pay rates. Just like Lori said, it's, you know, she's given pay rates, raises in a month and a half, probably to a rate that was already really high for her, her business. So the thing that would, that would really probably dissuade me uh, more than anything else from doing what you guys have bravely done is, uh, is managing people like managing that many people. Was that something that you, that you found like you uh, just could naturally could gravitate to, or have you kind of had a learning curve? For me, it's still a learning curve because there's just so many personalities that you're dealing with. I've never managed that many people before in my previous career. I've managed maybe 10 and under. And then just for me, it's a lot of younger people that work for me. So it's more than managing their personalities. It's managing them on how, how do you have a job? You know, you can't call into work an hour before because you don't have a ride. It, so there's a lot of like teaching about this is your first job. This is not acceptable and teaching some of them how to have a first job. That makes sense. So there's more than just the managing of everybody. It's managing and like teaching these kids how, how to be more adult-like in their careers and I shouldn't say they're all that way. They're, I have great, great baristas that don't need that kind of mentorship, but a lot of them, it is their first job. How about you, Lori? Yeah, no, I, same experience. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of managerial experience before. That was just not part of my, not part of my job function. So it's new. And I knew that it was going to be challenging for me. You know, I've been really fortunate that I have a general manager who's very good at that. And so that kind of helps, um, helps me manage, manage my staff. I have fewer people that, that have this as their first job. A lot of people on my staff have been at a number of other restaurants, but it is just a very different type of personnel on staff. The ride issue is real not being able to get a ride, uh, not being able to get childcare, you know, and all those things I, I understand are, are hard, but um, it makes it really challenging when you don't have reliability in your staff. For people who are on the, in the same boat as you or people who are among the great resignation wannabes who think, hey, being a franchisee sounds like it could be promising. What would be the one thing that you would tell them they need to know before they jump into it? Well, I guess the, the biggest piece of advice that I would give is just not to overextend what you can do. Be really realistic about where you're going to start and your financial stability and where you're starting because there's enough to worry about and there will always be unforeseen issues. But at the same time, have a path of where you want to go. Um, do you want to have just one restaurant? Do you want to have more than one and, and kind of know what that looks like for you five years down the road. Um, particularly, um, for someone like me that completely set, um, a career path aside to make a change. I had to think long and hard about where I wanted to be 
with Garbanzo in five years before I set out on my first one. And what do you think, Melinda? First, someone who is approaching me about being interested in franchising, I would just say it's a lot more work than maybe you think it's going to be. Um, I think a lot of people have this kind of like notion that a franchise, you pay your fee and you get it up and running and then you kind of see a cash flow, but there's a lot of work involved. I work more than I ever did as any full-time job, even a nurse working overtime. It's just 24 seven putting out fires, what, whatever it may be. So it's a lot of work. So you just need to know when you're going, getting into it, what you're getting into. So if, if I'm thinking about being my own boss, because I can set my own schedule. That's not a thing. No, because then someone calls in because they don't have a ride. (laughs) (laughs) Even though there's Uber, Lyft and all the things. So it's very hard for me to plan my life because I, you know, even when I think I have a solid staff, even occasionally like a solid staff member sick. So then I'm there helping out because I don't want to leave them short-staffed. I don't like that. So I go in and help. Thank you so much for sharing uh, so much of your experience. That is really fascinating. Thanks for having me. My thanks again to Melinda Rowan and Lori Meyer. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at IBJ's most recent print issue, but there's a story on the front page by retail reporter Dave Lindquist about how the costs of food and labor are skyrocketing for restaurants. I think it further confirms what we heard from Melinda and Lori, while also addressing how restaurants and other food and drink vendors are handling the effects of inflation. Also, in this week's issue, Emily Ketterer examines the move in the statehouse to reduce taxes on vaping products. And Susan Orr reports that local companies that offer online meeting and collaboration platforms still see a lot of opportunity ahead, despite signs that the pandemic is waning and in-person activities are safer. Again, you can read these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. It's a little easier said than done, but I can guarantee you access if you're a subscriber. It works out to about $2 per week for all of the latest news about local business and politics, plus all of IBJ's data about the central Indiana economy and corporate community. Just go to IBJ.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast, which is edited by Leslie Weidenbenner. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.